0: Father, we're so thankful tonight to just be able to share the Word of God. Lord, I thank You that Your Word is truth. I thank You that in a world full of lies and deception, it's Your Word that we can rely on. We thank You for Scripture. We thank You, Father, for the truth of the Word of God. And I ask that as I share that this would not only go out through Facebook but also into the heavenly realms it would have an impact and bring your presence even throughout the city. I pray for your comfort over everyone who is tuned in or who will listen to the recording. God, I ask for your touch right now. Encourage the weary. Convict those who need just a a touch of conviction. We look to you tonight. We ask that you teach us by your spirit in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen, amen. Well, tonight we're going to focus on the subject of fallen angels. Fallen angels. Again, we've been going through, uh, this is a month now we've been on this topic of angels. And I'm probably going to conclude next Friday with sort of two topics To conclude, because I don't really want to go a sixth week, that's a pretty lengthy amount of time on any subject, but fascinating nonetheless, I'm probably going to bring this to a close next week talking about the angel of the Lord as revealed in the Old Testament, which is a very interesting subject. It's the pre-incarnate Christ who appeared as an angel all throughout the Old Testament. So Jesus did not just start ministering in the New Testament. He's been active almost since day one of the creation. Well, we know he was involved in the creation, but he's been appearing and doing things all through the Old Testament. And then also I want to talk specifically about the, the unique role of angels in the, uh, in, the, in the season of time leading up to the second coming. There is a lot of interesting scripture on that, and so I want to probably do both of those next week and then, then call it a series. So tonight we're going to ask four questions and answer them, hopefully. The origin of angels, where they came from. We're going to talk about how Satan, who was once a good angel, how he fell and became a bad angel. And then how did some of the good angels become bad angels? We'll talk about that. And then what do those fallen angels, also called demons, what do they do today? Those are the four questions we're going to seek to answer, and by no means can I exhaust what Scripture says on this subject, but I will certainly do my best to give a few thoughts and verses. But let me just say before I get into this, that as Christians, we are not... Not to focus primarily on Satan and his demons. The spotlight of the Christian life belongs on God. The spotlight belongs on the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's where the bright, shining spotlight of our focus is to remain. And when that's in clear focus, when when Jesus is in the spotlight or the Father or the Holy Spirit, everything else sort of seems like darkness or shadows. And that, in light of God being in the spotlight, everything else finds its, its normal or, or right perspective. And so, so as I go through this, I'm not seeking to, in any way glamorize Satan, that's not the intention, but to bring awareness. Because again, he's not our focus, but we are to be aware. Scripture says to be aware of Satan's schemes and the demonic schemes so that we can stand against them. 2 Corinthians 2.11 and Ephesians 6.11-12, they both exhort us not to make the primary focus of our life on Satan and demons, but to simply be aware that they're real and they do attack and there's something we can do in response. I wanted to make that very clear. I know many Christians kind of get sideswiped into this, oh, this way overemphasis on darkness. And when I was a young believer, I was totally stuck there. And then the more I read the Bible over and over, I go, wow, this God is like really powerful and Satan, not so much. And that's what I would want you to come away with in this teaching. So first of all, where did the angels come from? Where did the angels come from? This is letter A under number two on my notes. Again, those are available on the website to download. There's a few things we can say, but let me just begin by saying this. The fact is that Scripture offers us limited information on the origin of angels. Scripture does not give a lot of... um, There's not like four Gospels on how angels were created. (laughs) We got four Gospels on how Jesus was born, but because angels are more of a peripheral matter, there are things that, that God intended to leave out. I'll touch on that a little bit more. But what we do know is that they were created by God at some point during the creation week. Everything that was created, God made in those seven, uh, well, six days. He rested on the seventh. So they were created. We know that for a fact. And they were created good because nothing that God created was evil. And so we know that all angels were created at some point. Scholars debate, was it between the first and the second day or the second and the third? And it doesn't say, so we can't be dogmatic about it. And they were good because God only creates good things. The angels were all good. So the original plan was that God would have these heavenly hosts that did his tasks and his will, there were no fallen angels, there were no demons at first. Now, at some point, between Genesis one thirty one and Genesis 3.1, there was a rebellion. There was a rebellion among the angelic hosts, and Satan and his hosts that followed him some sort of rebellion occurred there that scripture is very silent on there's not a lot of detail but it did happen because we know that in Genesis 3 after there was only good there was only good things in the whole earth after the creation suddenly there's an evil serpent tempting Eve. So we do know that something happened at some point between Genesis 1:31 and Genesis 3:1. Now, here's a hermeneutical point: a hermeneutical point, meaning um, a, a point on how we interpret Scripture. That's what hermeneutics are. When Scripture gives us limited information, What that means is that God intended that to be that way. God, who is the ultimate invisible author of the Bible, determined this is some information. They need to know it happened, but they don't need details. There is more than likely no need to know more about the details of this rebellion other than it happened. And though we are left with a sense of mystery and guesswork, God thought it was most appropriate for us not to know the details. Now, here's my, here's my guess on why he left that out. People, in my opinion, would be more likely to glorify the power of Satan if they knew more specifics and if they knew the details. I've met many people and I've met many Christians who are, who are so awed by what Satan can do. And in my mind, if they had even more information on what that rebellion looked like, they would probably be even more into it. And so God goes, I'm just going to spare all of those people who are going to miss the the main point. I'm not going to give them a whole bunch of ammunition to make the devil bigger than me because it's not even close. I mean, we are talking about the power of nuclear bombs versus the power of an ant, and that's not accurately describing the chasm between God and the devil. So I I personally think that the Lord left out details. We, We know the facts, but the details are excluded probably for that reason and a few other good ones. So that's... Essentially, where angels came from, God made them and He made them good, and there was a rebellion. Well, give us a little more, Derek, on that rebellion. How did Satan fall? Number three, again, by Genesis 3, there's an evil serpent in the garden. What happened? Again, there's not a lot of detail. Scripture's relatively silent, but we do have a couple passages that help. These are on the notes, but if you're not looking at the notes, write these down. Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Many good theologians and scholars will point to Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 and say this is about An earthly king, but it's also describing Lucifer falling or Satan falling. When we go to Ezekiel 28, we see things written in Ezekiel 28. Again, this is a a lamentation for the king of Tyre. We see things like in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub. So he's describing, Ezekiel's describing an earthly king, but he switches to use language that's only appropriate for an angel. A cherub is an angel. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Ezekiel 28 seems to have this parallel reality going on where there's descriptions of a human earthly king also alluding again to Lucifer. Now if we go back to Isaiah 14, a similar idea. Isaiah 14, verse 12. Isaiah uh, uh, 14, verse 12, he's talking about the king of Babylon. And yet, again, he's talking about a real person, king of Babylon. But in verse 12, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground. You who weakened the nations. Sounds pretty much like what happened in Genesis 3. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, he's saying, I'm going to be like God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Again, a paralleling going on. This is talking about a real king, the king of Babylon, but has this language about Lucifer who wanted to be like God, and God says, I'm going to bring you down and put you in hell. Now, there is a few scriptures like that that I went over, and let me just mention this. This is a very important, again, a hermeneutical thought, because how we view and interpret the Bible is significant, but a good way of thinking about passages like Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, a good way of thinking of them is similar to to how a messianic passage of Scripture describes both an earthly king and Jesus. For example, in Psalm 45, if we flip over to Psalm 45, which I'm going to try to do on the fly right now, whenever you're preaching, the Bible does all kinds of funny things. Thankfully, I found it quickly. Psalm 45 is a... Uh, says, to the chief musician set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. So this is just a love song that the sons of Korah are writing about an earthly king. I recite my composition concerning the king. They're writing a psalm about a real king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You're fairer than the sons of men. Grace is on your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, mighty one. Skipping down your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. The love, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you. He's There's this parallel reality between the earthly king and God. And so it's not uncommon in Hebrew literature or Hebrew scripture for this dual purpose kind of weave together to exist. And so we don't just look at scripture and say, oh, that's just about an earthly king, or oh, that's just about God. No, often there are multiple meanings weave together under the brilliant authorship of the Holy Spirit. All that to say that Scripture suggests that Satan fell, again referencing Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14, and various Scriptures. Scripture seems to suggest that Satan fell because he wanted God's job. God, I don't think you're doing good enough, and even if you are, I want to take over. We see this, something happened in Lucifer's heart where it wasn't good enough for him to be inferior to God. He wanted to be in that job. And so he... He wants God's position. He wants God's authority. He wants God's likeness. It's not enough to be second or third or fourth. I want that job. And so he leads a rebellion. And he has been leading rebellion ever since, splitting families and churches and ministries and nations and peoples ever since. Wherever there's a rebellion, the father of rebellion is, is all mixed into it. And so much rebellion happens when we just can't accept our place. I want to be bigger. I want to have more power. I want to have more authority. In fact, I want God's power and authority. That was Satan's issue. Something happened in his heart to become corrupted. Again, we don't know the full story because we're offered limited details, but we have the scriptures I went over. We have just a few truths. Satan was not content to be inferior to the Creator. I want to replace God at the pinnacle of everything. Dr. David Jeremiah says that Lucifer's pride turned an angel into a devil. And so it goes with many people. This is why and how Satan fell. He was this high-ranking angelic being, but it wasn't good enough to be that. He had to have more, and it wasn't his lot. And so he took a lot of angels with him. Now, along with that, we see that Satan fell. How did the other angels fall and become bad angels? We see a couple of scriptures that allude to this. Let's flip quickly to 2 Peter 2.4. Again, I'm just going to do this on the fly. I didn't have space to write these out on the notes, but I, ha- I have put them there if you want to study that out at a later time. 2 Peter 2.4 four. says this if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment so we see in, in 2 Peter two four there was this sin that entered the heart of these demonic hosts I, I mean they were originally good But they sinned and God cast them down to hell. Now there's debate over: are all of them physically changed there? Are some of them allowed access into the heavenly realm? The fact is that they do exist and they do exert their influence on the human race and and in the world. But there's, there's just a lot of details we don't know. Jude 6. Uh, sort of uh, echoes this same idea. Jude 6 says, the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he is reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. And so again, there's this idea that angels created good originally. Many of them said it's not good enough. I don't want my place. I don't want, it's my, whatever my proper domain is, I want more. And so they left. And that was understood to be a permanent decision that cannot be reversed. Again, these notes are available. So Satan leads a rebellion, this is under number 4, Satan leads a rebellion, and that act of rebellion involved all the fallen angels. All of the angels that fell followed Satan at that point. It was a it was a uh, an event with uh, a conclusive event is how I would describe that. It was a one-time conclusive event, and there's no going back. It's not like a devil can repent and become a good angel again. It's just a fixed reality. It's a, it's a very uh, terrifying thought. Now, also, I would say that there are some scholars who look at passages like Revelation 12, Revelation 12, 7 through 9, because what that says is is that there was a war that broke out in heaven and Michael and his angels fought with the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought but they did not prevail nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer so the great dragon was caught was cast out that serpent of old called the devil and satan who deceives the whole world he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him so What some would say is this has multiple applications. This has both an historic view and a futuristic view simultaneously being described. I I think that's what's happening. I think what we're being given here is is an historic understanding of what happened, but also an eschatological view of, of the final rebellion that is yet future. We know that in uh, Luke 10.18, Jesus says those words. that's kind of, I mean, no pun intended, but striking. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And so that gives you this sense that when Satan sinned and his angels sinned, Jesus, it was they were immediately cast from the presence of a holy God. And so that is how other angels fell and became bad angels. They followed Satan and have a very dire, dreadful outlook. Now what do they do today? This is Number five on the notes, what do fallen angels or demons do today? There are so many people talking about spiritual warfare, and, and rightly so, but as I mentioned in the beginning, we don't want to overdo it. We don't, again, put the spotlight of our, of our uh, Christianity on the devil. We put it on God, and then everything else appears as shadows and darkness, But again, we want to be aware of the devil's schemes because Scripture tells us to be aware. We don't obsess over the power of Satan. We don't talk about it in every message. But we want to know that it's real and we we want to know how to resist it. So what do they do today? Well, let's begin with this thought. Satan has all sorts of names in Scripture. And when we see what Satan is called, we get insight into how he does things the names that the bible gives us about satan ultimately reveal his character and what he does and what his minions the fallen angels do so throughout the bible satan is described as and this is not limited this list is not exclude uh, um, there's more but i'm just giving you a few satan is referred to as lucifer beelzebub a dragon, an accuser, a murderer, a deceiver, a liar, a ruler, a god, etc. and etc. So when you see the names of this enemy of ours, we we know how he works. He's trying to bring a spirit of murder. He's trying to lie and deceive. He's trying to accuse the brethren. And so we get insight into what he does. And so when I see a bunch of accusation happening in a situation, I intuitively know that's Satan. And we have to know that when I see that there's a spirit of anger being stirred up, which Jesus said is the spirit of murder, eh, that's the devil. We need to get way out of that. When there's a bunch of lies and deception, I'm thinking that's Satan at work. And we have to learn to recognize this if we're going to be discerning Christians. Now we know that Satan uses lies John 8:44, he uses deception Revelation 12:9, murder Psalm 106:37 and John 8:44. He'll use any form of destruction, any form of destructive activity to keep the people from God and to destroy their lives. Satan has this unchecked vehement anger And he wants to destroy the life of every person he can get his hands on. And he wants to minimize effectiveness. He wants to do anything he can. And he will use his fallen angelic government and all of his wicked evil hosts to bring as much destruction as possible if we allow it in our life. We know that the enemy will use any form of destructive activity to keep people from God. Satan's fallen angels will use temptation, doubt, guilt, fear, confusion, sickness, envy, pride, slander, any means possible to hinder a Christian's witness or usefulness. We must be vigilant. We must stand on our guard we must be in the healthy sense guarded. We must put on that full armor of God as Paul urged in Ephesians chapter 6. Satan will try to defeat you and me by making us feel defeated. Now, I cannot tell you how many times I hear people say, well, this is the way I feel You know what? Feelings are real, but feelings don't determine our decisions. Feelings don't determine what God says. That's who you are. What we feel is so fickle. And sometimes people feel unclean, so they do unclean things. Sometimes people feel defeated, so they live defeated. The reality is, is you are more than a conqueror in Christ, He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, which is the enemy. And so just know that the enemy, Satan, and his demonic minions, they will attempt anything, anything, to get you to back away from your relationship with God or to miss him altogether. In fact, Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, one of the things that the demonic does is try to keep you from the gospel itself so that it never clicks, it never makes sense. The enemy works overtime to keep the gospel from, getting, from pervading culture. In our heart in particular. He wants to keep people in bondage so they do not come to God, Galatians 4.8. Now here's, the, here's the, the important note. Though Satan and demons are real though they operate today in the world and though they can afflict believers, they are ultimately limited by God's power and sovereignty. And here's the big one. They can be successfully resisted by a Christian. They can be successfully resisted. So we are not powerless First of all, we recognize that Satan and his minions are on a chain called the sovereignty of God. God allows nothing, even in the realm of the demonic, that will not further his redemptive plan. We see that in the book of Job. The book of Job is a striking example of how the sovereignty of God is applicable even over The most rebellious entity in the universe. So it, it, it of course, extends over the human race, but try to think of that. The most rebellious demonic foe is still ending up serving the greater purposes of God. Fascinating. Truly fascinating. Flip over to James chapter 4, James chapter 4, verse 7. Again, the books of the Bible always jump around when you're trying to find it while you're preaching or teaching. Or maybe I just don't know my Bible. It could be one or the other, it could be both. But James is, has definitely hidden from me. I know he's not up there. We go. James decided to come back. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee. There are moments where Satan attacks. There are seasons where darkness seems to increase. What we do, God first, we submit to God everything that he's telling us, everything that's written in the Word, as much as we know to do, God first, and we resist. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. We quote Scripture. When fears come or lust or whatever the temptation is, greed, covetousness, whatever it is, we resist the devil just like Jesus did. When the devil came at Jesus with out-of-context Bible verses, Jesus quoted Bible verses right back that were the right ones, which is an interesting insight into warfare. When the devil himself tempted God himself, he used the Bible. And I don't think we even fully comprehend at this point that the main deceptions that Satan will likely wield in the days to come leading up to the second coming is out of context Bible verses. Wrong emphasis on Scripture. So people are going to say, but it's in the Bible But God's saying, that's not the right verse at the right time. Again, the devil told Jesus, jump off a building, angels will catch you. Jesus is like, "Eh, that's not how that verse works. And so there's going to be a lot of, so much need to know the Bible so that we can actually say, no, enemy, I know you're tempting me with a thought, and there might even be scriptural languages, but it's a half-truth, and so therefore it's not the full truth. The devil can be successfully resisted. James tells us how. Again, we submit to God, we resist the devil, and he flees. When you're feeling an increase of attack, whatever it may be, quote scripture stay in the bible stay in the word i command you to leave me in the name of jesus demonic power fear lust greed whatever now james also gives us this this nugget i just man i love when james does this james 219 he says i want you to know Even demons believe in God. 219, James says, It's good that you guys believe in God. Even demons believe in God. Of course, they were once serving God. Even demons believe in God, and they tremble. That's what James says. They tremble. Now when you read the life of Christ in the gospels and you see how the demons behaved when Jesus came near that bears out I mean they they begged him at times please don't send me over here send me over there They know who's boss and so when you bring up God, when you bring up the name of Jesus in a conversation that maybe is dark or a situation where you feel the enemy moving, that name Jesus sends a shiver down Satan's spine. They recognize that name and that, that, that man is so powerful. And I would just say this. The most immature Christian, a little baby Christian, five years old in the Lord, saying the name of Jesus is as powerful as Paul saying the name of Jesus because the name has power. It's not the person and their history and all their prayer and fasting and all their obedience combined with their dad's and their granddad's obedience. That's not how it works. The warfare is the name. It's the name Jesus that has power and authority. And so when we're attacked, when we feel the enemy coming against us or our family or our kids and there's sickness after sickness after sickness, we say in the name of Jesus, we rebuke sickness and we keep praying it and we keep declaring it until the season lifts and where there's that sense that the enemy has left and he will always wait for an opportune time. Now, again, I don't focus on Satan every day of my life. I don't focus on Satan every time something goes wrong. But when there's that evidence that this is more than a dreary Monday headache, this is a prolonged spiritual battle, we start bringing out nuclear activity called the name of Jesus. When we say, in the name of Jesus, it is written, Be gone, devil. In the name of Jesus, it is written. When we start to use the name of God and the word of God, it makes devils nervous real quick. They recognize that name and they recognize they are going to be locked and chained in a fiery furnace for eternity. And right now they're kind of all stirred up and angry and trying to rip people off and sow division and kill, kill, steal, and destroy And they sometimes successfully get an inroad, but when we recognize, no, no, discernment of spirits, this is not a God thing. This is a bad spirit. We begin to recognize we need to pray and we need to cry out to the Lord and use the name of Jesus. He begins to retreat. And so sometimes, again, uh, Christians will glorify the devil or they'll give him much more power than he really has. And they'll feel like, well, the enemy destroyed my life because he's so powerful. No, no, no. Nobody just lays down on the battlefield unless you're crazy. When the enemy comes at us, we fire back with power. And the way we do that in the Christian life is not with guns and ammunition, physical guns and ammunition. No. The Bible says that our adversaries are not people, they're not flesh and blood, but they're powers and they're hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And so when these devils are attacking, we say, in the name of Jesus, boom! Jesus is king over this household. We quote Scripture, it is written. And that is like the heavy artillery that presses back, The hosts of darkness in the name of Jesus. Again, it might be fear that you're experiencing. It might be anxiety. It might be lust. It might be sickness. We refuse to lay down on the battlefield, we resist the devil. can't stress that enough use the name of Jesus whether you're really old in the lord or you're young in the lord whether you just got saved yesterday you've been saved 50 years the name of Jesus is our way forward in this war against satan and his fallen angels we see in matthew 6:13 jesus taught us to pray deliver me from evil o god Sometimes we pray, Lord, this evil that's coming against my house, my finances, my my physical body, deliver me, God. Sometimes he answers that prayer. Sometimes immediately. Sometimes we contend for a while, and then the breakthrough comes. As we've already looked at in this series, sometimes the enemy, this happened to Daniel, the enemy resisted the answer to prayer. It took 21 days for the prayer breakthrough to come. And so we stick with it sometimes for weeks and months. Jesus said that we would cast out demons as a sign of our believing. That's in Mark sixteen seventeen. He gave His disciples authority over clean unclean spirits, Mark 6, 7. So if you're a follower of Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus... Jesus says, You get to do this stuff. Not just the original 12, not just the people in the Bible. If you're walking with me, this is the stuff you'll do. Now, again, someone who has a, a depressed moment that doesn't mean they're demon possessed. Someone who's afraid for a little bit doesn't mean they're. So we have to understand so much of what we go through is just we're human. But when there's that heightened, it's obviously demonic, we go and we, we call on the name of Jesus. Some people think, well, I'm not a pastor. Well, I don't talk on a microphone. I don't do house of prayer. Or I don't this or that. Or. It has nothing to do with your title or your maturity spiritually. And that's one of the tactics of the enemy, is to get every Christian to think that they're not qualified to confront him and cast him out. We need to teach this to our spouse, we need to teach this to our kids, our congregations, and those in our realm of influence, that Satan and devils leave when we begin to say the name of Jesus. Amen. So that is where angels come from. That's how Satan fell and his angels became bad angels. And that's what we see the enemy doing today. Of course, there's much more that could be said, but I cannot emphasize this enough. We are not victims. We are victors. Jesus has given his church authority and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You have the same power in you that those disciples had. You have this ability. And so don't, when it it seems like things are kind of a mess, you have the authority. You have the authority to stand against Satan and demons. You do. No matter how old you are or how young you are, your spiritual maturity level or when you got saved you can successfully stand against the enemy submit to God resist the devil he will flee speak the word of God use the name of Jesus amen and amen okay Noah you want to come on up and say a closing prayer me and uh, what we're going to do is we're just going to pray this over uh, pray this over our city right now I'm going to have Caleb go first, and then you just pray whatever you guys want. Lord, I pray in the name of God everyone will be inspired by Dad's preaching, and everyone liked the preaching, and especially Mom, that she liked the preaching, and that we all have a really good um, sleeping night tonight. In the name of God, amen. Jesus, I pray the name of God that you'd end the coronavirus right now, and I pray that everybody would have a really good night tonight, Lord. And I pray that um, we'd be able to do fun stuff this summer. Amen. Amen, amen. And I want to just say, look at this T-shirt from our prayer summit a couple years ago. I am looking forward to the day when we can have more prayer summits and conferences and gatherings. That is going to be a good day. Thank you for bearing with the tech difficulties. This is the third time we've rebooted and tried it. The uh, recording will be on our site, posted on Monday, and you can you know go through the Facebook videos until then. So bless you. Father, we just ask you for you to uh, just draw near to the Central Illinois region tonight, we're asking God that you would bless your church. We don't want to be unaware of Satan's schemes, but we know the spotlight is on God. We know the spotlight is on Jesus. And so may Jesus be lifted up and glorified in our city. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, bless each and every believing household tonight. Amen and amen. Thank you for tuning in. We'll go ahead and log off for now. And again this will be posted and we will get you we will get the recording to you on Monday. Blessings and see you next time. Bye bye.